I've always believed the ambition of every band, whether they were some super grassroots punk rock band or some well-groomed major label band, was to become the biggest band in the world. One can feign modesty, but in the back of everyone's mind, that's what all bands are working towards. Whether they achieve it or not is another thing entirely. And this shouldn't be looked on with disdain, it's rather quite admirable. But when a band starts to gain some momentum outside of their backyard and graduate from becoming a quote-unquote regional band, a couple of things happen. Firstly, you become the default representative of your city, your country, even if said city or country or you yourself would prefer you not to be. Secondly, the scene that spawned you, that nurtured you, and helped you ultimately sprout wings, helped you cut the cord and leave the nest, so to speak, will eventually forget about you and move on while you slowly continue turning your hobby into your vocation. It's a classic case of out of sight, out of mind. And after 15 years of solid touring abroad, the Toronto scene that I once knew is no more. Don't get me wrong, it's still very vibrant and its bands are world-class, but my kinship with it has lessened substantially. I see it as fallout from meeting the objective of what every band is kind of supposed to do. Still, I need a hometown fix from time to time. Something or somebody that reconnects with home when I'm away for weeks and months on end. Thank God for social media, texting, and Skype. But every now and then, I'll find it via a fellow Torontonian out on the road, someone who shares the same background, experiences, reference points, and similar viewpoint. Sometimes, and I mean only sometimes, they also happen to be in a band. That's what happened when I met up with Chris Slowrack, bassist of the band Metz, when we were both far from home playing the Southside Festival in Germany together this past June. Whether people know it or not, at home, we rehearse just a few doors down from Metz. And all last year, we were the only bands in the rehearsal building during the day jamming and writing our respective records nearly side by side, stopping to talk to each other in between breaks. Now that their Metz 2 album and our Fire Music album have been released, it was only a matter of time that our paths would eventually cross again out on the road. Mets are a band that took me by surprise, and if I'm not mistaken, helped usher in this recent noise rock revival. As someone who lived and breathed that scene back in the day, I'm glad bands like Mets exist, and I'm glad people have taken to them as much as they have. It's nice to see a band that I really like from my hometown move beyond the coddling of home turf and do it and just kill it. When Nick Flanagan and I record podcasts together, I'm always on Nick's case to avoid scene talk because I feel it bores an audience unfamiliar with our local scene being discussed. I've had to edit out whole discussions that I felt most people couldn't follow even if they were from Toronto because it got so inside. I say this to preface an apology because when two guys from the same scene, thousands of miles from home, meet up like Chris and I did on this episode, talk can and did tend to get pretty regional, but I kept a lot of it in because I think it's interesting and shows that no matter where we're from, we all have similar origin stories. So, sorry. And 
Sorry to Nick. Okay, before we start, and although it doesn't make sense right now, I just wanted to make a footnote here and say the band Ghost that I reference in the podcast episode from Japan were on Drag City Records, not K Records. The God's Head Silo record Chris and I discuss is called Share the Fantasy. And I wanted to give a shout out to Boris Castellanos, who I used to work with, and brother of Jaime, who we mention here, and who are both in a band called Project Nine. It'll all make a little more sense when you listen to the episode. I want to thank Blue Mic Microphones and Skull Candy Headphones for the support of the podcast. I want to thank Chino Locos Restaurants, because when I want a fish burrito, I want it stuffed with chow mein noodles. And thank you for listening. If you do feel inclined, please leave a rating and or a review on iTunes because it ups the podcast's profile. Here we go. Chris Slorak of Mets is on this episode of the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. Nick Lennon, is Danko's co-hotel over free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from fucked up. Stop playing. Hang down. Down. I got to know Danko a few years ago when I used my vacation time to follow the band on the road. And I even spent a day with Danko in some European town that escapes me. But we ended up talking about 17th century art, his pet rock collection, (laughs) the summers he spent as a teenage air traffic controller, his venomous snake collection, his passion for planking, and the night he spent with Ringo Starr's housekeeper. He's a fascinating character with a wealth of stories to share. And I'm a huge fan of Danko, but a bigger fan of his stories. Danko Jones has a podcast. It's called the Danko Jones Podcast. La da 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 Hey, Chris. Thanks for coming on the podcast in the back lounge of our bus. And we just kind of played together. You can call that playing together, right? Yeah. Yeah, we were separated by one band, but they don't really yeah. count anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, it was like uh, the Deco Jones Mets show today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Southside Festival in, in Germany. And uh, I thought you guys, it's the first time I've seen a full show of you guys. Uh, so, um, I thought I was very impressed. You guys are awesome. I mean, I have the record, the first record. I still have to get the second one. We can help you with that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, um, you know, usually with bands that are hyped, I kind of just kind of go, ugh. And then I heard your record and everything. You know, I spoke to Bruce Pavitt about you guys. Yeah, you were telling you were telling me about that the last time I saw you. It was I had never met him, and we met him at the, the Seattle the Sub Pop Jubilee. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he said a lot of really nice stuff to us about about our band, and we were uh, really touched. The whole sub pop thing's always been like a bit of a every time every time we meet like someone that we sort of respected over there, and they're like, "Ah, oh, we really like your band." We're always just sort of like never really thought it would get to that point, you know. So we meet to do like Bruce Bruce Pavitt. He has like a, a deep history and with, with that label, it was pretty amazing that he was so stoked on our band yeah i mean that is definitely uh someone of note if that kind of person likes you you know you're probably doing something right but how did it how did it go from you forming your band to getting on sub pop you guys are based out of toronto but you're not from originally from toronto right how how did you guys form i'm from just outside of toronto i grew up in in oshawa yeah then i moved in with my father in in toronto when i was about 12 and I've been in Toronto ever since. And the other two guys in the band, 
they grew up in Ottawa and moved to Toronto, I'd say close to 10 years ago now. Is there a Monine connection with you guys? Yeah, I used to What's, play in that band. You used to be in Monine. Yeah, when we, I was like 19. So we played a show together. We played with you guys was once in, like in St. Catharines. St. Catharines? Yeah, probably. Outside of the Mind Bomb. Was that with the Black Angels? Black, An- Black uh, Halos. Black Halos, that's yes. right. Yeah, yeah. In 2001. You know, every time I see Rob from the, the Black Halos, we always talk about that show. Because that was the first time I ever met that guy, and he's such a sweet dude. I don't know if you know that guy. I think no. He, he was in Spark Marker back in the day. Oh. Oh, I know Spark Marker back in the day. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. I have a few seven inch Spark Marker seven yeah, inches. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um. So okay, so you because I really dug Monine. I thought you guys were were really really great. I just did that first full length. That was my only involvement with that band, and it was that's uh, the one I had of you okay. guys. Um, and I thought you guys were great. So from Mon from Monine dissolving, you hook up with these two guys. Well, I I left Monine slash got kicked out of Monine, and uh, they continued on. But I I played in a bunch of other bands, and then eventually like I mean I'm 36 years old so between Monine and this band there was like a good nine years maybe so uh, I played in like a metal band called the Abandoned Hearts Club with a bunch of friends of mine we signed with Century Media and then dissolved before we even put out a record oh wow (laughs) and then uh, and then after that I was sort of finished for a little bit and I took about three years off and I met Hayden through a mutual friend and we uh he had already started Mets with, with Alex in Ottawa, but they had just moved to Toronto, and the bass player hadn't come with them. So we were at a, like, he invited me over to his house for a barbecue, which I thought other people were going to be at, but apparently, no, it was just me. Uh, it was, I thought it was going to be, you know, sort of like a party type situation. But anyways, I showed up, and we had a barbecue, just the two of us, and we hit it off, and we've been, you know, really close friends ever since. But at that barbecue, we decided that... You know, we'd play some music together and see how it went. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, we've been Mets. And that's just, that's the way the band sort of really kind of formed into what it is now. How did you guys go from forming this band to getting on one of the most notorious slash prestigious indie rock labels of all time? Like, oh, that's based uh, on the other side of the continent. So, uh,. I have friends who play in that band, The Constantines. Mm-hmm. They're very close friends of mine. And through The Constantines, I met this guy, Chris Jacobs, uh, at, who's the general manager of Sub Pop. And I, I had been doing some work with The Constantines at the time. And uh, Mets made our first 7-inch. Just, you know, uh, we weren't going to make anything. And John Drew was like, I have to record your band. Come record with me. So we recorded four songs, which ended up being our first two seven inches. So we put out the first one, and I think it was Steve from the cons sends it to Chris Jacobs. Um, and then we recorded, like we put out the second one. And I think he sent it over to Chris Jacobs. And then we sent, it, we got the third one done. I was really proud of the third one because it was actually Negative Space, which ended up on our first record, and in a, kind of a weird song called Automat. And uh, I sent it to Chris just with like a note being like, hey, I'm pretty sure you've heard our band, but I don't know. I'm just sending you this on, on, you know, on with the chance that you might actually give it a listen. And he gave it a listen, wrote me some nice words back, and that was that. So we were, 
I guess we were sort of building a following in Toronto. We had been playing a whole lot of shows and uh, doing a lot of stuff at that place, Parts and Labor, and it got to the point that we would, when we played that place, there was always like a big, huge lineup. It would completely sell out, and the shows were manic and crazy and fun. And I always like to say that the uh, the sign <laughs> the sign that things are going well is when you have a mosh pit in front of the stage and it's all girls. Like that's it's changed a lot for us since then like 99% dudes at all of our shows now but if you have a show and your entire mosh pit is girls you're definitely going to bring out a whole bunch of guys as well oh, right? yeah, yeah. so our band was doing real well because we had a full mosh pit full of girls what year was this because I mean this would be five years ago four, four or five years ago right We're, uh, you know being growing up in Toronto being part of the scene uh, now that we tour all the time I cannot Say that I'm part of the scene anymore. I, I think I think we're it's sort of in the same situation, right? Because we we play Toronto maybe once a year, if, mm-hmm. if that. Same and, here, yeah. And when I'm home, I try and get out and go see stuff. But I'm you know I'm a married dude. I, I like to spend time with my wife as well. So in in the process, I mean I, I run that that site in Toronto, uh, just shows with Mark Pesci, and I think that thing keeps me. Mark Pesci. Mark booked. Uh, parts and Labor and Mets I think Mets played Parts and Labor more than any band we played that place all the time and it was it was great because it was a small basement and you, it could get wild and uh, everybody always had a really good time and it was easy to pack it and it just you know it built up to this thing and then eventually we couldn't really do that anymore it ended up going to a bigger room um, so in the process of all of that um, we had written a whole bunch of songs we just started recording them we went and uh, lived in this barn for like two weeks and recorded with uh, Graham Walsh from Holy Fuck and uh, made this record um, completely finished it mixed it and sent it to Sub Pop the same guy Chris Jacobs who uh, didn't write me back for three weeks and I was like ah well you know it's the only only label we sent it to nobody else had heard this record except for them and we're like alright well what are we going to do like I was like we'll just put it out ourselves whatever and then I get this email one night and just says it's like fucking five paragraphs long so I'm just thinking it's and it's like all apologies like the first three paragraphs are just these apologies for like not getting back to me and like oh I'm so sorry I haven't had a chance to like write you back and I really appreciate you sending me this record blah 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 and then right at the end it's like so we all really love the record here and we'd love to figure out how we can maybe make this work so we can put it out and it completely caught I had to like go back and reread it because it just it really felt like a rejection letter up until that last point um, and so yeah that uh, from there um, we developed like a really good friendship and uh, solid working relationship with those guys they're really hard workers and they've uh, they've done a lot for us as far as uh, bringing our band from being like a little local Toronto band oh, booking yeah. ourselves and doing little mini tours whenever we could to being like an international band you know yeah i mean i i'm i'm kind of like um uh um, kind of the fair weather type fan where i got i got into you only because of the sub pop connection because you know through sub pop you get into magazines and you get highlighted on blogs and your name started to popping up and i saw toronto next to sub pop it's our hometown right like i mean i know that uh, if there's another band on Sub Pop from Toronto, I would give them a listen, you know, or a band from Toronto signs to Matador, or yeah. another, you know, these big labels that I respect, I'll always give those, I, I mean, I try and listen to as much as I can, but... But Sub Pop is a label that I really, you know, I mean, I'll check in on once in a while, but as far as, you know, how it used to be in the 90s, how just w- w- every single release 
had to be listened to yeah. because of just how consistent they were at one point. And then they started to branch out, and then they kind of lost a lot of people. I was in that mix. Yeah, so was I. But you guys, uh, whether your audience knows it or not, and that's something I was thinking about watching you guys today, do these people watching this band know the this the genre that these guys are really a part of and I feel that you guys along with bands like Piss Jeans and I could probably name a couple other newer kind of bands are, and I hear the term noise rock uh, tagged with you guys I don't know if you like that term or not I, but I, I'm okay with it I'm not sure it's totally suitable but but I, I liken you guys to a lot of the stuff that I heard on Amrep back in the 90s yeah. not on Sub Pop um, and bands like uh, uh, JC made a good uh, comment while we were watching you guys and he said this is a lot like Yank Crime Drive Like Jehu which honestly coming from the two of us it's a big compliment oh, I mean coming from anybody that's a compliment that's still one of my favorite but you guys yeah but you guys, those are influences. I, I, I got, oh, yeah. Right? You guys are yeah. aware. Because I remember someone telling me that Piss Jeans, someone said, oh, you guys kind of sound like Jesus Lizard. And the guys from Piss Jeans hadn't really given the Jesus Lizard a listen. So I'm just wondering if, like, what what is your, um, what's the lineage for you guys, the influences? Is it directly Drive Like Jehu and stuff like that? No, I actually I actually think that as far as playing goes, I think that Drive Like Jehu are pretty far from being an influence. We're, our influences come from, all, all three of us listen to, like, we're big music fans. We listen to all sorts of stuff, you mm -hmm. know? Alex is. I, it feels like recently it's just he's just constantly listening to the Beatles again. <laughs> but, but uh, I think uh, where we all kind of intersected was maybe in like the DC hardcore mm -hmm. or like the SST era hardcore stuff. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of like Minor Threat or Fugazi or Black Flag, which were influences of that first crop of exactly. '90s noise bands. I feel like we're pulling probably from the same place same, where right. a lot of those guys. I mean, because uh, maybe okay, so Hot Snakes. I, every time I listen to them, all I can hear is the wipers, and I love the wipers. Mm -hmm. And I think that Hot Snakes were like a very—they had a very direct wipers influence, right? And uh, so, like you know, I think all those guys were probably pulling from all the things that we grew up on as well, because right. we're kind of close to the same age as a lot of those guys, right. maybe six or seven years younger, mm -hmm. but still, that's what we grew up on, you know. And that's kind of where we—I mean, I, I went to Discord. Uh, a few weeks ago, when we were in in DC, Old, uh, house I saw the photo. Did you see that you photo <laughs> with you and Ian Mackay? Like, what, yeah. okay, what's we're, going through your head when you're taking that photo? I had a moment after that where I was just sort of, I, I kind of thought about. Uh, it's a picture, just for everyone listening. It's a picture of the guys in Mets with Ian Mackay on the steps. That yeah. classic Minor Threat photo. Yeah, and I I think when I when I walked away from that situation, and Ian Ian wasn't. He treated us like a peer. It was really like a really casual conversation and almost like bashfully. Like I was like, can we please take a photo with you? He's like, yeah, well, we have to do it on the steps. So that was his idea? That was his idea. Because oh, it's right across the street from the Discord warehouse. And uh, um, so we go over and do this photo and I'm, th I'm sitting in the van afterwards just thinking... You know, we did tours with Obits and like Rick Froberg's and like one of my all-time favorite bands. Then we, we go to discord to see our friend who who runs the uh, he runs love it records as well this art this guy brian he's an amazing guy uh, and he lets us go in there sometimes and dig through records and buy stuff and ian mckay walks in i'm like man i've met all of my musical idols 
and they treat me like a friend mm-hmm. and, and like a, a and it's just you know it's a really like uh it's an amazing thing to be able to like play music and meet the people that you've always looked up to and realize that they can just be on level with you you know and as an adult it's just i don't know it just it touched me and made me think of how thankful i am for being able to to do this so do you have that photo framed like I would if I <laughs> not yet, not yet. I haven't had a chance. I haven't been home for long enough. I've been home. Oh, for this like happened five on days. this tour because I still I still see it recently. Yeah, so it you was, haven't been home. It was yet. three weeks ago. I've been home, but I was only home for five days. So I mean, I haven't had a chance. Five to... days is enough to go to Blacks. <laughs> okay. All right. Get all right. it printed up and framed. <laughs> yeah, but I want to get it life size. So. Oh, <laughs> <No>. right. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. I I, uh, I have run into Ian Mackay once, and uh, we sat down and we had breakfast together. Yeah, he's and it's real easy going, smart guy, and yeah, and uh, uh, gave us shit for licensing our record to Universal. Gave me shit for that. Which did he really? Well, in a very friendly way. Sure. Um, and it was awesome because I was like, oh man, I'm getting reamed out by the man. <laughs> this is awesome. So they built something that is super unrealistic for so many bands, you know, yeah, where like yeah, the, totally the Fugazi the ideal. Yeah, the Fugazi uh, uh, blueprint is just, it doesn't work for like 99.9% of bands as much as you want it to. It's like but that is the, that is the standard that you are judged on as a band by everyone else. Of course, yeah. And it's frustrating when you're on the other side of the of the the the, the uh, fence. You do ask yourself every day, what would Ian do? That's what <laughs> I say. And I think me and Damien have talked about that. You know, what would Ian do? Um, is something in the back of your head. We played with a band recently that um wrote a note to Ian Mackay because their song was getting like they had been offered a bunch of money to license the song to a commercial and they're like man Fugazi would never do that yeah so they wrote this letter to him like a, like this is maybe 10 years ago or something write this letter being like man I don't know what to do we're really conflicted and I'm pretty sure Ian wrote back he's like if if it's something that will make your life easier or something that will make your life better and you can sleep at night then you go ahead and do it. It's like, it doesn't matter what I did. It matters what you do. And I think that that's really, like, the the point. You yeah, know? you know, it's gotten to the point sometimes while we're in this band that I actually get mad at Ian Mackay because it's just like, <laughs> God damn it, doesn't everyone realize that this is just, this happens to one point zero five percent of bands out there can pull this shit off? We all want to do it, but, I'm but we can't do it. I'm glad that he did. I'm glad that he did because, you know what, it, it kind of... When you're setting your goals, if your goals are just basically to like play and put on punk rock shows and have a good time, um, Steve from Mudhoney, when we were touring with those guys in South America, I had to sit on a panel. Uh, it was like a sub pop sponsored tour thing down there with us, Obits and Mudhoney, and uh, Steve gave me gave everybody in the room the best advice I've ever heard. And like, if if there's ever a band that ever asked me like what you should do with your band I will always tell them play music with your friends and whatever happens happens and at the end of the day as long as you're playing with your friends you'll be fine you can't talk with your friends you know it makes it makes those like I mean we, we live in closed quarters at a certain point if the three of us like toured in a van the way that we toured and we hated each other we would have broken up forever ago you know yeah. on that first record I think we played 400 shows so like and in a van, you know, mm-hmm. in a small van, mostly driving ourselves, just the three of us.
also wanted to tell you, because I realized uh, earlier today, that um, you might have been hoodwinked by coming on this show because the co-host, my co-host, usual co-host, is Nick Flanagan from Wronghole. Oh, yeah, I know Nick. I've known Nick for forever. And and uh, I, whether people know it or not, Wronghole... Recently made some merchandise <laughs> that I have. Yeah, yeah I have it too. <laughs> um, so, uh, yes, you know. Uh, yeah, they aped our record cover. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> and they've done that with other bands in the past. So uh, you're in a good company, Crystal Castles and yeah. Rush. Oh, have you seen the cover of their, their I haven't album? Seen the Rush one, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. 2012. <laughs> <laughs> So you're in good company. Yeah. Um, well, Andrew from Wrong Hole gave us our first show ever. Right. Uh, he was in uh, Quest for Fire. They were doing. We were releasing. Uh, pardon me. They were releasing their first record, and they kind of forced us out of our practice space to play that show. And that's the first time we had ever played a show. Wow. Okay. And that was really the the beginning of Mets, right? So there. you got Wrong Hole. There's <clears throat> some sort of Wrong Hole connection. Well, going even further back, because <laughs> I was at a Project Nine show and I met oh. Nick Flanagan. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right? I met Nick Flanagan and Andrew Mozinski at that show, and we hung out a ton right while they were working on this zine they were doing called Free. So I've known them since I was like 13 or 14 years old. Yeah, so um, were you guys mad at that? I heard you guys were upset. Was I wasn't. I thought oh. it was hilarious. Okay, okay. Yeah. No, because that's why I was like, oh, did they... I heard they got upset at that initially, and then you guys. I'm honored to be honest. Like, if someone's gonna like, if we've gotten to a point where someone feels like it's like, it's gonna be noticed if they ape our record cover, that's awesome. I think that's great. Yeah, I think it's a picture of Nick with his, yeah. his head. Yeah, and it down says Mets all over the the book that he's on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've got I've got the uh, the shirt. They opened for us when we played we played Danforth. Yeah, yeah. Like a couple of months ago, and that's then awesome. uh, we got wrong. <laughs> Whether people wanted it or not, we got Wronghold to open up for us. So, and he usually co-hosts the podcast. Obviously, not yeah. not when I'm on the road. We would have had a deep conversation if Nick were here. We'd go back in time. Do a shout out to Nick's old band, Head Cleaner, with Andrew. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, no, because I don't think they ever played a show. No, I don't know that. But that was what they were doing when I met them. They're like, yeah, we're in a band. We're called Head Cleaner, and I don't think they ever practiced Head Cleaner. No, I just knew. I just knew. Uh, well, I knew Nick. He was just this this kid to us yeah. on the scene, and um, well, this is with this because your first seven inch it was on Teenage USA, right? No, our no. first seven inch was on Sonic Onion. Okay, I have it. It's like a, no cover. Right? No cover. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's from '98. I bought I it when it first came out. Oh, cool! I think you were working at Sunrise Records at the time. Yes, I, I worked was. at HMV across the street. No shit. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I didn't, uh, I worked there forever, and I never told anyone I was in a band, and then I was on the cover of I, and I didn't tell, I think some people got mad. Cause really? Because I, I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was just working there. I came to the, the 7-inch release show, so I... In Hamilton? Or... Yeah, in Hamilton. Oh, wow, okay, so... I'm, I'm OG, man. Wow, you I'm, are, man, holy smokes. I'm well, you threw out a P9, for like, there... there. I, I've been around a long time, man. I've been, you, I've been to shows, I used to go to tons of shows. Do you know, like, uh, you know Jaime from... Yeah, from Project he's an Nine? artist now, like, uh... He's in a God's Head Silo album that nobody knows on Sub Pop. Wait, sorry, he's he's on it? Like, he he's, plays on it? He, no, he's, he's in, his photo is in it. Which album? Uh... 
I want to say Elephantitis of the Night, but it's um no, it the cover is like it looks like a metal album. Oh, and it's a no, chariot. That's, uh, what is that? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I have that record. It was the last one they ever did. Yes. He's in it? His photo of him playing outside the Rivoli, where God Said Silo played that night. They played the Rivoli. Yeah, with Six Finger Satellite. I was at that show. I was at that show, too. Uh, the singer from Six Finger Satellite almost killed me with a microphone stand at that show. Do you I remember, might have seen that. Remember how chaotic that band was? Like They had done like Edge Fest or something like that on the side stage, which is, when you think about it, you think about that band, like... That's super bizarre. But he had one of the... I think he had his own mic stand and had like a really heavy bass. And he swung it. And it came right down in front of my face, like just missing my nose. And cracked on the ground. And he looked panicked because I think he thought he'd clocked me. Yeah. And then I went to the back of the room. Wow. <clears throat> I, uh, I, was, I was at that show. I saw that. Um, I love that band though. Did you love them? Six Finger Satellite. Yeah. Oh, I still go back to that band. I like. I recently. Wait a minute. They were on Sub Pop, right? Yeah, they're yeah, a yeah. Sub Pop band. They're actually. I put on a show for them at the Garrison like four years ago or something like that. Because they put, they put ago. out a new record. I didn't know that. Yeah, they put out a new record. But I mean, the last thing I really loved by those guys was that Paranormalized record. I thought it was. What's great. the cover of that? I, it's uh, the four heads in a circle. Is it the silver one? No, but that one's amazing. That That's the best awesome. one. Severe That's exposure. Like, yeah. No, uh, it was incredible. like, um, it's kind of like Devo craft work. They're getting more into that. Yeah. I was kind of disappointed when I first heard them after I'd seen With like... shellac guitar tones, though. Like the guy's guitar, like, he's almost, almost Steve Albini style shellac guitar tone on that. On the what? On on that that severe exposure record. It's oh. like it's that guy, the Juan McLean. He's a DJ now. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, but I, yeah, I love that album. But and that ten inch that came out shortly after. Uh, Machine before. Cuisine. Machine Cuisine. I fucking. It's really good. Yeah. We played with them once. Yeah. At the Horseshoe. They're um, such a cool band. with Trans Am. Oh, another one of my favorite. Yeah, bands. It was yeah. us, Trans Am, and Six Finger. <sighs> How 90s is that, man? That's a, I mean, I don't know. Trans Am are still kicking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that first, the first two albums. Then I, might, really. uh, I can't remember the names of the records right now. It's amazing because I just pulled out a whole bunch of Six Finger Satellite stuff just out of nowhere. And now it, it's like Future World. Future World and the Red Line. What covers that? Future World's the one that's like, it's white with like the green lines. And then the Red Line's the one with the red face on it. And then, I mean, if you go back further, there's okay. a self-titled one, like the blue one, and then... Pigeon is the most popular bird. Oh, no, that's... I was, I was talking to Trans Am. Oh, tra oh, okay, now I'm getting confused. Sorry. Um, Surrender to the Night? Oh, that's Trans Am. My, my roommate... Yeah. I love that. that. It was like the first thing I ever heard by those guys. We mm -hmm. went to see them play. Uh, my roommate was John Drew. Oh. At the time. And Who's recorded us? He's recorded us, too. Yeah. So he played me Surrender to the Night, and you remember there's that, that one song... And at the end, you just run the whole thing through a distortion pedal. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of hear it happening in the background. It's like the most immaculately recorded thing up to this one point. All of a sudden, it just goes... And, uh, yeah, I've been a huge fan of that band ever since then. That's another band, like, you know, the three of us always agree on. Like, we can always listen to Trans Am. Yeah, they're, I mean, the first two, the first two is uh, the Blue and White. Self-titled. Self-titled, and, and then the Surrender. The, and, and then uh, Surveillance. And then when we played, when when uh, makeup brought us down to DC, we played Cold Rice. Cool dudes in Trans Am were in the crowd. That's awesome. And I'm like, and I was like, like, we played together like maybe four months ago. 
you guys said boo to us. And then they're, really? Yeah, and then the singers are the main, the front guy was like in the front row, like with his fist in the air and stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow. Well, that's cool. That's great. Having a bad day. I yeah, guess. yeah, it was, it was cool. Um, so, yeah, that's, no, that they're a great band. Yeah, yeah. I fucking love them. But you came back to Jaime from Project 9. He's in the collage of photos in that God's Head Silo album. No way. Playing with a mask and uh, a guitar, and he was in front of the Rivoli, and they took photos, and they put it in the album. So there's a sub-pop Project 9 connection. Which you would never think would happen, really, right? And you brought up Project 9, so I had to make... They were, I mean, they were a band that I would go see in Toronto, and I mean, when I think back, I can't remember what their music sounded like. I think it was really funky. Yeah, funky. But, uh... They're all nice guys. They were super fun to watch, right? All the dudes I've met in that who were part of it were, were really nice yeah they were Super amazingly nice, nice people and hard working but they would always show up with this bag of tricks right like you remember you'd go to the show and like Jaime would be half naked on like a single roller skate with like balloons attached to his arms or something like that, and just riding around the stage screaming his head off. Just some crazy. It was yeah. Super fun. There was a whole like uh, that teenage USA thing. It's was like there was a lot of like good bands on. Who was on? Or teenage maybe USA? maybe it was it was uh, what was Phil's band before, or Phil's label before it was it was Skull Geek Records. And Phil who Kligo. was on it? It was Pacola. I know Phil. Yeah, it was Pacola, Secret Agent. Oh right, smallmouth, and I mean that's that's all I got right now. This but is for this is for uh, turned out a punk. Listen, <laughs> all, all I gotta say is is that that city just like was just spitting out great bands that maybe never really got their fair. Do you remember Horshack? Absolutely, I remember Horshack. Shut up. Yeah. Really, dude? I went to shows all the time. I saw tons of bands. You saw Horshack? Yes. Well, that's nice. I'm glad that someone saw us, and now they're still doing it. But it was, uh, like, that's what I was thinking when I was watching you today. I'm like, you know, Horshack, we could have played with you guys. Yeah. You know, and... and uh, Did you guys do one of those grasshopper things at the Opera House? I mean, uh, no. regional, man. Yeah, let's do it. Um, and I follow, I follow Derek Madison on, yeah. on, on Instagram. Uh, uh, no, our biggest claim to fame was our the reason why we were a band was opening up for the Jesus Lizard and Girls Against Boys. Where was that show? At the Opera House. It was at the Opera House. Were you at that show? Yeah, I was at that show. I think I went with my sister. Yeah, and that, to me, at the time, in 94, was the pinnacle of my life. That was the biggest thing that you could ever do. Yeah. And, uh fucking huge man and that was it yeah but Elliot Lefko like I kept bugging him for weeks before the show and then like a few days before the show he said okay do you want to open for him and I was like yeah but Elliot all the ads are already in no one knows I can't prove this to anybody that we played with the Jesus Lizard and then I think Perlick wrote a review and I have the clip and so what happened was recently there's um I want to say it's uh I want to say it's uh, it's a it's a club in Toronto, and they have a house band, and the house band's name is Horshack. Really? Yeah, they call themselves Horshack, and I found this out on Twitter, and I started tweeting the main guy, and I've never met him, and he seems like a nice guy. Sure. But I just said, hey, I I, I started I kind of poked at him, and I said, hey man. I fucking love you guys. I saw you guys when you opened up for Mule at Sneaky D's. I was at that show too. Were you? 
Totally. No shit. I knew. I knew. Uh, oh, what was his name? Lou. Lou. Klein. Lou. Yeah, Klein. Lou Klein, who booked who booked at Sneaky D's, and he used to let Andrew, Nick, and myself into Sneaky D's shows when we were underage. And he would sit us at the bar with a Coke and a plate of nachos, and we could go see any show we wanted. He was like, these guys are on my permanent guest list. And we How did you get on Lou's good side? Because I, I didn't think no he had idea. a good side. I have no idea, but for some reason, he allowed us into that place. And, you know, uh, that was where I first met, like, Ron Anisette. Ron yeah, Anisette. he did sound for us many times. Yeah, me too. And, I mean, we still see him whenever we play at Lee's Palace. But, uh, yeah, Lou. I, like, saw Killdozer. I saw Mule play there. Uh, did you see, uh, did you see um, Wool? I, di- I didn't see Wool. Because we opened for that. We opened uh, okay. that. And then we broke up right when Lou asked us to open up for The Unsane. I was at that show, too. We were supposed to open for The Unsane. And Grasshop- Grasshopper did it. Did they? Yeah. I, I was already... I was just like, I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Grasshopper picked that one up for you. Oh, fuck. But, um... What was it? Was it? Oh, yeah. So this, this band, Horshack, are playing in Toronto. That's the name of my old band. And look, it's my first band that I played clubs with, so I have this kind of real connection with the name. Sure. And there's been other bands who have the same name, like there's Ghost in Sweden, yeah. and there's Ghost in Japan. Yeah. But we're talking about the same name in the same city. And we were not... On, we never released anything, but we weren't under the radar either. Sure. So I went on Twitter I and I saw you guys at least twice. Right. There's proof right here. Yeah, right here. And and so I tweeted the guy and I go, oh, I saw you guys open up for a meal, and I posted the flyer, <laughs> right, where it shows our name, and then I did it for a couple other shows. You guys were awesome when you opened up for the Luna Checks, and he was like, Oh, that's not me, man. It was Lee's Palace, right? Yeah. And then he goes, he retweeted me back, and he said, uh, uh, No, that wasn't me. That like, no, that. That wasn't my band. And I go, that's right, because it was my band. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I must have sent him like five tweets. And I did this whole thing. Like, I'm like, look, you're he's a cool dude. The guy's a nice guy. He doesn't know. But I feel if you're going to have the same name from a band from the same city, that original band gets to make fun of the new band Forever. Yeah, but you, they can keep the name. They can keep the name. I said you can keep the name, but I get to make fun of you forever. Yeah. And then he started making fun of me. I didn't get mean about it, mean spirited about it. I, I I treated it as a joke, and then a couple other people got involved, and I'm like, okay, listen, guys, I'm just step back. Yeah, I really it's supposed to be funny. I really don't give a shit sure. at, at the end of the day, but. Um, and I did say, like, he can use the name, I, my full blessings, but I get to make fun of him forever. Sure. And that's just it. That's just how I feel. So, and I used um, a cover of a ghost from Japan, who are, I think they were on um, K Records or something. Yep. And I used that cover to <laughs> my full rant. But dude, you're <laughs> going so deep. Like, you think that Horshack from Toronto knows who Ghost Japan are? No, no. I know. I'd never expect anyone to remember who Horshack is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's cool, man. I, di- I had no idea that yeah. you went that deep. Shit, I'm sorry, man. Anyone I, who, we could. <laughs> oh my god. Anyone who. I mean, anyone who's ever seen Horshack. I mean, it's like our band, like Danko Jones, is just kind of like, yeah, I saw your band. Oh yeah, yeah. Get in line. <laughs> But, but Horseshack to me is like, I was like, wow, that's that's super cool because uh, it's really close to my heart, it, which is why I, I did tweet what I did. But, well, dude, I saw you, know, you twice. Wow. 
That's super cool. At least man. twice, yeah. That's really nice to hear. You know, I I, uh, I never I never knew anyone was paying attention. And you saw us in those Sneaky D's shows where Lou booked I, us. I went to like every Sneaky D's show. Like it was like I had like what, I had those parents that didn't care where I was going or what I was doing. So I would go out and I was living in, like with my dad in Scarborough. So I would I was living in Scarborough yeah. when I was in Horseshack. So I, I would take the train to Warden Station. Yes. And I would have to walk for an hour to get home from I Warden Station. I did not Station. have to do that. So I would catch the last subway after the whatever whatever band I saw play, and then I would I would walk because I mean I was young. I didn't have any money. I couldn't take a taxi or anything. The buses weren't running, so I would walk. But that's I, what I did when I was a kid, man. Like I would take I the Warden like, Sixty Eight. Uh. That I brought me. It was a '69, was it not? It was '68. Word '68 uh, got me right to my. You're going almost. super regional now, but I did. I did the one Macau 102. This went so deep, so way far. deeper than Nick <laughs> Flanagan would ever go. You're gonna have to edit the hell out of this. I want to keep it just so I can piss him off. <laughs> So do you know Mark Arm? Yeah. yeah, he seemed like a cool guy when I met him. Oh, he's an awesome guy. All those, all those Mud Honey guys—they're uh, like a really sweet group of guys. They've seen and been through so much, yeah. you know. But yeah, Mark—I I, actually—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll credit Mark for being one of the main reasons why we're even on Sub Pop at this point because we—we we got asked to open for them in Montreal and in Toronto. And I remember seeing him watching us play, and he went back and sort of reported back. He's like, yeah, we played with Mets. You guys need to keep your eye on these guys. Wow. So, and I mean, that's a pretty massive, massive pat on the back, you know? Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think um, I don't know too much of the going-ons and sub-pop, but if Mark Harm gives you the thumbs up, uh, yeah. you got a pretty big green light. We saw them two weeks ago in, in Greece. We've toured with them a lot. Wow! And uh, they're uh, yeah, they're uh, amazing people. Really nice, down to earth, easy going. A big influence on this band. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, once again, completely touched with like the idea of getting to meet people that you looked up to your whole life. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, just getting. To, I, I think I, I met him through a mutual friend in Seattle, and then he saw us play. And there was one point at the Crocodile. Club. Yeah. And there's, I feel like he would love your band. Well, there's one point where I was I was doing some banter and shit, and I, he cracked up. He literally bent over laughing, and I was like, yes, yes. I was like, I'll never forget that image of Mark Arm like yeah. laughing while we were playing, and I was like, fuck. Nobody in this room knows how good this feels, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, totally. So, and I have the um, actually because they taped the show, or yeah. at least they used to, and I have that. Um, I don't. I don't know exactly what part. The venue is amazing, man. Yeah, they've redone it, right? We they, played there a year ago, and it was, it was really cool. Like a hist I didn't know the history of that venue, but it's got a pretty deep history. No, I think he showed up to a show in '05. Cool. So I think it was the old room, and they, then we 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 went there like maybe three years ago, and it would it was revamped, and I think it holds more people now and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's like five hundred people or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. I, I mean, all the Seattleites that I've met um, f through music are yeah. are just really really. I don't know. I don't I don't know why I get along with them. There's yeah. something about. We feel kinship with closeness to Canada in a way, I think, you know. 
the, I, I don't even know what it is, but they just like everybody we know from the sub pop label to the bands that are that we you know even like the you know Piss Jeans who are not Seattle guys, but they're they're related to us in like the sub pop way. They they're friends of ours, really nice guys. And then but the Mud Honey guys are just they've been they've been really cool to us since day one. You know, like Dan Dan Peters was in uh, Nirvana. Like the guy is like the most incredible history, and he is one of the funniest people I've ever met, and one of like the most instantly warm people I've ever had the pleasure to like spend time with. I've always wanted to meet Steve. He's he's got. If you ever want to talk music with someone, Steve will like take you down a road. Like you could do like a seven or eight hour podcast with him about like old seven inches. See, that's not my podcast. That's Damien's Sorry, podcast. Sorry, man. I keep on getting confused about who I'm talking to. You guys look so much alike. It's funny because we did the podcast with Duff McKagan. Right. Me and Damien tag-teamed on, on Duff, and uh, Damien was pulling out all this shit, and the, no one saw it, but the look on Duff's face to Damien was like, how the fuck do you know all this shit? <laughs> so, yeah. He's a musical historian. Damien goes deep. But um, I think that, you know, maybe Damien and Steve should do a podcast together. But Steve mm. is a, honestly, like, a really good chat, really smart guy with, like, a intense musical knowledge. I'd love to hear. Well, that's, I think, who people, <laughs> those kinds of people should be on Damien's podcast. Sure. The ones who can go really deep. I mean, when I was on Damien's podcast, we went we went regionally deep sure. because he allowed it. That's what um, he does what it was like when I was on it. When were you on it? Why I, did I, I miss that? I, it was like maybe like an episode or two ago. Oh, okay. Because I only... It's pretty recent. Yeah, the last one I heard was Flanagan. I've been afraid to listen to it, to be honest. Yours? Yeah, because I like went deep. Like, I had not gone that deep in a very long time. So I was like, I was like bringing up stuff that I had forgotten. Like, Deeper than what we, we just went through just now? <laughs> if you put the two together, I think you'd have like a really good idea of exactly who I am. So this this might be um, this is my, this side my B. Eulogy, right? yeah, side B of, of yeah. uh, the Turned Out of Punk episode. We'll do a cassette. We could do a set. We could do like a, like a seven-sided t- like record. Yeah, like a like a, or or a compact disc. There's no side B on a compact disc, man. I'm, you know what? Lately, with the vinyl resurgence, I'm like, I'm a big compact disc uh, fan. Are you really? Do you yeah. buy compact discs? I do. Really? I do. You're like the only one. I'll give you a compact disc after this of our new record. Whether you give me a, a compact disc or vinyl, I'm, <laughs> I'm fine with either okay. one. Okay. Like, I, I, um, a lot of people are now just insistent on records and, and or vinyl. And I, I uh, I'm like, well, there's pluses and minuses for both. And uh, I, I really, I just want to hear the music. Yeah. I really don't care. I find with vinyl, though, like, you know, you're going to, we sell more vinyl than we sell anything else. Yeah. Um, but you get a download card with it. So I got a feeling like these things go home, they might get listened to like twice as an LP, but probably like a hundred times as like the digital download. See, that's what I mean is, yeah. And, and um, uh, you know, when we put out Fire Music, we I don't think there was a download link on a few of those uh, first uh, releases. And people were like, where's the download link? And I was like, well, when I bought records when I was real, I didn't have a download link. <laughs> Drag City, <laughs> we listen I, I to those fucking... I don't think Drag City do it. I bought the new Bill Callahan record, no download. And I am for that. I'm okay with it as well. I'm okay with it. But then I... 
I bought it on iTunes so I can listen to it in my car as well. So that is a hardcore move. So and I have done stuff like that with other albums too, where yeah. you just like yeah. I just yeah, really I just, want to hear it. Yeah. That's all. You know? I want to hear it on a uh, on the subway or on a plane. Yeah, and you can't really just or walking down the street. Player. No, and I and that was the that was the argument that people were giving me. Like, look, I want to walk. I want to take a walk and listen to the to your record. I did buy your record on iTunes, by the Thank way. Thank you very much. But then I wrote a thing on, you know, here. I mentioned your name here and yeah. here. And, you know, so it does kind of just kind of... And I'm sure someone read that and they, they went to see you play. And yeah. it's happened to me for other people. There's so. ton, tons of benefits. There's, I'd say there's more positives than negatives. I mean, bands don't make money from making records. And I mean, fuck, bands don't really make money a lot of the time, you know? If you're lucky enough to be able to, like, go on tour and come home and not have to go back to a nine to five, then I think you're doing all right. Yeah, that to me is being a successful band. Yeah. That's a different thing. And so thing. I'm, I'm thankful enough for that. Cool. Well, Chris, should we end it like this? <laughs> I think so. I think it's, I gotta go see Lagwagon and Millencolin. Uh, are they, are they label mates of yours? Millencolin is, no? Uh, Joey Cape from Lagwagon was, he put out a solo album on our, on, okay, our, on okay. Bad Taste. And Mill and Colin were uh, were on Burning Heart while right. we were on Bad Taste, so it's I was, that confused me for two me. Swedish punk rock labels side to side. But we're all we're all friends. It's all good. And Eric lent me his guitar today. That's awesome. So it was cool. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks, Chris. I'm glad you were able to sit down and uh... get regional. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. Uh...